With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Of the sky is falling, and then the the, the follow up of 
national media, you know, ground, gr- you know, going on and on about it. The reality to me is, I think I, I don't. It's hard for me to get that fired up about it. Like, yes, am I upset that young men decided to do what they decided to do? Absolutely, it's unfortunate. I wish they had made better choices, but at the same time, having now taught undergraduates in my doctoral program and having recently been an undergraduate, there are a few things dumber than an 18 to 22 year old boy. So if I'm upset with them, it's more, I kind of liken it to potty training a puppy. Are you really mad that a puppy doesn't know any better? No, but you have to use it as a teaching moment. And if there's one guy that can do that, that has shown that he will do that in terms of the college football world. And I'm not saying the other coaches don't do this too. I'm just saying Nick Saban does have a track record of these sorts of things. Nick Saban will be able to get these guys, you know, that he'll punish them. There's no doubt of that. They'll be, they'll be run until the cows come home. But assuming the felony goes away with Cam Robinson, they're going to learn something when they get back to Tuscaloosa. And it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be good for them to go through it. I hate that it's happened, but, you know, sometimes you can show your character in the case of both Cam Robinson and Hootie Jones with how you respond to a situation that is absolutely your own fault. So I'm not worried about it from a football perspective. Let's just talk purely on the field. Uh, I think you and I both agree they'll miss some time. Now, does that include the USC game? Quite frankly, I hope it does because that's a terrible message to send that will keep you in for the big game and then bench you for the, the cupcake the next week. But the, these guys, particularly, once again, assuming the felony gets pled down, which is something that you've heard and something that I'm sure Jimmy and Redfish will have takes on as we talk to them. Assuming that gets pled away, these guys are going to play for the Crimson. Tied this year, and that's you might as well take that to the bank. All this hooting and hollering and wringing of hands and gnashing of teeth is is way overblown to me. But it's just, it's unfortunate. But sometimes kids do stupid things. I guess that's all I've got to say. You know what I mean, Carrie? I know I did when I was their age. I mean, oh you know, yeah. <laughs> the thing about it, you know, there's there's two there's there's doing it and then there's getting caught. Uh, I, I can't even. I, I'm this is kind of embarrassing to say, but. I'm the only male son in my family that doesn't have a DUI on his record, and that's only by the grace of God because I didn't get caught. I could have. There were so many times I was coming home from various establishments in Tuscaloosa in college and even a few years after college that all it would have taken, taken was one siren coming on, and I have it on my record. But it's just, you know, like my point is we all do dumb things, and when we get caught, there are consequences. They got caught. There are going to be consequences. They may very well know every step in Brian Dean Stadium by name and by number, <laughs> but I think, I think Thomas, that they're both going to play no later than Ole Miss. And it really might not be that bad. If Coach Saban figures out they really learned their lesson, it's not even a done deal. They're going to miss the USC game. and I think the second game is Middle Tennessee State. But I feel like the fairest thing would be probably to sit them two games just to make it. I don't know if that's what he'll do. You know, this time last year, everybody had Cyrus Jones missing a couple of games because he threw a girl's cell phone against the wall. And somehow that got classified as domestic violence, and it really wasn't. So, in fact, the charges, if I remember correctly, got dropped. So, 
we just have to lay, wait and let it play out, and it will play out. And uh, our experts that call in in a few minutes, uh, you know, one one per hour will will address that. But we want you, the caller, to call in. And, and the number to call us to ask Thomas or I questions, or if you want to ask one of our guests questions, I'm sure they'll be happy to answer. The number is 714-510-3707. Please put that in your phone. Write it down. Remember it. Memorize it. Whatever. 714-510-3707. And Thomas will bring you around the air, and we'll talk some uh, some Bama sports. And there are some other Bama sports going on. I alluded earlier to the fact that the baseball team is taking on South Carolina at home tonight. Well, that's a season a regular season ending SEC series setting up for the uh, trip to the Hoover Met next week for the SEC tournament. And uh, if Bama could somehow find a way to take two out of three this weekend from a 10th-ranked team and then maybe have a respectable at least win one game in Hoover and get to a double elimination round, uh, they've got a shot at a two-seed. I think they're almost locked as a three-seed right now. They're going to make the NCAA baseball field of 64, but as Drew has pointed out on Twitter for the last week, we can have any that's far higher than a three-seed. And there is a possibility they can get a two if they take advantage of the opportunity before them. Meanwhile, uh, the softball team has been seated sixth in America and will host a regional this weekend featuring uh, Sanford, which Bama plays tomorrow at 4, and also featuring the Cal Bears, a very good softball team, and featuring Texas State, which features uh, an assistant coach who is arguably the greatest player in Bama history and a former Olympian, Kelly Crutchman, while the head coach of Sanford was also a very good player at Bama, and uh, her, her name is uh, Ashley Courtney. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so a lot of stuff going on there in softball. And the men's golf team played, hosted a regional these past few days, and they ended third. Only had to be in the top six to make it, so they made it. And uh, actually five uh, SEC teams were there, including Auburn, which Bama beat, by the way. Auburn was fifth and was third. Uh, they both advanced to the NCAA golf championships next week out in, um, in uh, California. So a whole, whole lot going on right now in Alabama sports. And, um, again, remember, we'd love for you to call us, and uh, we'd love to talk a little sports with you. The number, again, is 714-510-3707. So um, that's kind of what's going on uh, regarding BAM's radio tonight. And uh, in about five minutes, we will be joined by William Redfish Barger. Uh, and, you know, plenty to talk about, obviously. Now, we you know, the other thing we're going to talk to William about is not only the fact that there's a possibility that a potential All-American left tackle may miss a game or two, but who would be his replacement? And I think that the replacement would probably be uh, young Jonah Williams, who came out of spring as a number one right tackle, but he took a lot of snaps during the spring at left tackle, and uh, William thinks that he will be the right tackle this year and the left tackle the next two years. So uh, I can tell you that uh, starting pitcher Bramblett for Alabama has retired South Carolina 1-2-3 in the top of the first, and Alabama will be coming to bat any minute now with uh, Holcomb, Bance, and Salem, uh, hoping to do some first-inning damage. And, you know, uh, Georgie Salem, we've talked to his mom so many times here on the Asian Rim Hotline, uh, his mom, Paige, and these last couple of weeks, Georgie Salem has been maybe the hottest player in the country. Uh, he had a three-run homer uh, just the other night uh, against Stanford this past uh, two nights ago on Tuesday to get Alabama up to a great start in what became an eight-to-two win. Um, he's just been playing great in center field. 
He had a, a big home run Sunday to help get the sweep against Arkansas as well as a – I, I hate to admit this to the listeners, but uh, Sunday afternoon, Thomas, I was at my niece's graduation. She just got out of Broadwood Christian School, and uh, the graduation was held over at Broadwood Presbyterian Church. And, you know, I, I had my phone off. I was a good boy the whole time. And then uh, they did the final prayer, and I flipped it on, and I kept it on mute, and I got to see Georgia get the uh, winning hit there to help <laughs> At Arkansas. I, I won't tell anybody. You, you yeah, do sorry. you. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah, Mr. Church boy sitting there watching the baseball game while a student is doing the final prayer to graduation. But it was cool to see Georgia do that, and I know his mom and dad are proud, and uh, he, he's done a great job. So, uh, and by the way, if you want to go on Twitter uh, at Alabama BSD, you can follow along with the game. You can also go to. Uh, you know, to watch ESPN app and follow the Alabama game on the SEC Plus app on your smartphone. They've even got a uh, deal where you can go on Twitter right now and vote for what song you want to hear if you're at the game in the sixth inning. Your choices tonight are Wagon Wheel, Hunting, Fishing, and Loving, and Great Day to Be Alive. I know none of those, so I'll hit Great Day to Be Alive, and hey, we're in first place at 39% roll tide. So anyway, uh, you know, Bama batting now at the bottom of the first. We will keep you appraised of that score, or apprised rather. We'll keep you apprised of that score. No score yet, but we'll uh, we'll do that. And also, we'll go ahead and bring on our first caller of the evening on the Asian Realm Hotline, and he's going to have to go quick because we got a guest coming on in two minutes. But uh, from Greenville, Alabama, Colin Big C. McGuire, what's up, man? Not much, so it's Alabama playing South Carolina tonight. Yeah, it's on the uh, ESPN3 on your computer on your smartphone, if you've got to watch ESPN app, you can watch it that way. Uh, no score yet. Bama batting in the bottom of the uh, first inning. Chance to make a statement, though, as far as seeding goes in the, in the NCAA tournament and the SEC tournament. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's been lately on the, the Cam Robinson deal out in Monroe, Louisiana, or have y'all heard anything lately? We have got the date of the arraignment which is where you go in there and plead guilty or not guilty to the various charges. And that's going to be in Monroe, Louisiana at 1.30 in the afternoon on the 16th of June. So what we think is going to happen between now and then is some, some pleading. And uh, I've been told by somebody that would know a lot more than me, Big C, that the district attorney in Wachita Parish is, is not uh, the guy that tries to uh, destroy first-time offenders by putting stuff on their permanent record as far as felonies go. So it sounds like from the out, from the outside looking in that he may be willing and probably will be willing to plead down the felony charge uh, because I, I really don't think that, that Cam Robinson knew that gun that was stolen from Baldwin County, Alabama, 13 months ago was stolen. Uh, it, it would be hard for them to prove he knew it was stolen. Uh, yeah. Should he have been sitting in a park at 2.30 in the morning smoking pot with a gun under the seat? And should Hootie be sitting in a park smoking pot with a gun in his lap? No, probably not. No, I know probably to it. No, they should not. But you know, Big C, when you're at school uh, all but three or four weeks of the year and you get a chance to go home for a couple, three weeks, you almost kind of feel like you broke out of jail. Uh, of course, they made a trip to the jail for uh, uh, nine hours. But yeah. They, uh, they felt like they were kind of free of the, uh, you know, the constant observation of the football facility, and they got a little carried away, and they made a bad decision, and they will pay for it. We're, we would just be guessing, 
to know what's going to happen to them now. We're going to let Coach Saban sort that out. But Thomas and I said earlier, we both don't see him missing any more than two ball games. Yeah, I think you're right on that. It was not a bad. They made a stupid decision. Let's put it that way. It wasn't very bright. That's all I'll say on that. Yeah, but like, but you know, Big C, like I was telling Thomas before you came on, I, I think you can agree that me and you were at Alabama at the same time. You know, can you agree with me that both of us did stupid stuff back then and just kind of didn't get caught? Yeah. Yes. And do you You're want right me to tell them about that trip, that trip to New Orleans you made? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you didn't want me to talk about that on the radio. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, like I said, we all have, have done things. And uh, I tell you what we'll do, Big C, if you want to. Uh, Thomas is working on William Redfish Barger right now. And when he comes on in just a minute or two, if you've got a question or two for him before we let you go, that'll be fine. But while we okay. wait on him, uh, have you got anything else for me? I will tell you to call me tomorrow at 745. Okay, good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Any questions for me while we uh, wait on William? Yeah, I'll just – well, let me think. Uh, I, I, this is a question when I ask you that I thought of. But the baseball team, now, are they they are they like the football team on practice during the during the week, during the school hours, like the football team is? You know what I'm saying? Some of ours are practice in like about yeah. 20 a week. Well, you have to yeah. count the games, too. But the games count, too. So, yes, they are under those rules. And I will tell you this, Big C, this is breaking news right here. Uh, your friend that played when you managed Danny Holcomb, uh, yeah. his son Keith, his son Keith batted leadoff tonight, and he opened up the game with a double, so he's standing on second right now. Well, that's good. Well, um, I guess now the thing I'm interested in um, that they are uh, they got unlimited practice time now since school is out. Uh, what do they, they got? Do with school uh, out. Seven years. Yeah, with school being out, there's not a limit on the practice time right now. That just stops. I mean, he's not going to wear them out. No, it's not like no. he, he's not going to wear them out. He, they got to be fresh because they got to play three games this weekend against the number three team in the country, the number ten team in the country, and then they have, uh, you know, they have the SEC tournament in Hoover next week. So, uh, you know, that's what, kind of what's well, up with that. What do they got to do to qualify to go to the NCAA? Well. They're they're probably already in since they swept Arkansas last week. They're they're probably in as the number three seed, but they'd like to try to get to the number two, so they can stay away from whoever's hosting until the third round or so. You know, next week, other uh, two weeks from now, it's a lot better to be a two than it is a three. Uh, yeah. They're probably a three right now. They went into the Arkansas series with a 60 RPI, and then they swept Arkansas, and they beat Sanford uh, this past Tuesday. So if there was some way they could take two out of three from Carolina this weekend and at least win one in Hoover, I think they'd have a, a very, very good shot at, uh, you know, at, at being a two-seed. And Drew's been kind of piping that on his Twitter the whole last week about, you know, that they shouldn't be satisfied with just making it and just being a three, that they should be yeah. uh, they should, they should want to be a two. Um, so that's kind of a they're, – they're going to make the tournament, though. They're, they're going to make it. I, I can find that. Now, where they'll be sent and how they'll be seated, we don't know. But what yeah. they're going to try to do, these, 
these next couple of uh, this next week or so is try to go from a three to a two. By the way, I wanted to ask you something about another guy that, that played. I understand that, uh, that somebody that played while you managed passed away this week, Scott Allison. Yeah, he died today. He had a cancer. And I really didn't know he had it until the last few days, and it was just, I don't know if it's, they just kept it secret or people found out about it, but he was a good guy, and he was a lawyer, and I think he was living in Birmingham before he got sick. But he was real, sort of quiet, but everybody got along with him and liked him. He was a good guy. Stay, he, I know. Was, uh, remind me what, what what position was he was was he offensive line or yeah number two he played guard on the nineteenth from seventy eight to eighty okay and he started some games didn't he yeah his senior year he did okay let me correct myself yeah, on something I said earlier uh, just before you came on I said that Ashley Courtney was the coach at Sanford she's not uh, Mandy Burford who played at Alabama. Uh, Back in 2007, she was a senior. I'm not sure why I said Ashley Courtney, but it's Mandy Burford who is coaching Sanford and doing quite well and has them in the uh, regional. And now we are going to go ahead and bring on our first guest, and I'll, I'll let you ask him a question or two for this go be uh, Welcome in on the Asian Rim Hotline, BAMS Radio, to William Redfish Barger. William, how's it going tonight? I'm doing good, Jerry. How about you, man? I'm good. I'm good. we got uh, Big C on here with us for a few minutes, too. What's up, Big hey, Man? Hey, William. All right, Big Man. How you doing, Big Man? Uh, hey, Matty. It's uh, I only got one more day to work till the weekend, so I'm doing good. That's right. <laughs> hey, That's right. You're doing real good. Um, let's see. You, you know, your senior year was. Uh, did you come in in the same recruiting client class with Tyler Watts, or are you older than him? I'm trying to remember. Oh, uh, I, I wish I was as young as Tyler. No, I was a. Uh, my recruiting class was 1989. Oh, okay. Um, so, I remember you played um, tackle at John Carroll High School. If I remember right, you were you the top prospect your senior year in high school, if I remember correctly. Well, it, it, it was it – was, I never played offensive line in high school. I was a tight end and a linebacker. But, yeah, uh, depending on which newspaper at the time, you know, there wasn't websites and, uh, you know, recruiting magazines back then. Well, yeah, there was a couple of recruiting magazines. Uh, Forrest Davis had one, and yeah. Super Prep had one, Tom Lemming had one. But depending on one, which one you looked at, uh, either me or Electron Williams was the top player in the state, but I was kind of oh, considered yeah. the, top, the top big man. Okay. I, oh, yeah, I remember Electron and – he had one year of glory over to Auburn. He missed his knee up, and that was the end of him on that. That's um. Let's see, I'm trying to think who else. See, he came in with uh, he was uh, George um, golly, the guy that made the play against. Yeah, my, my recruiting class. Some of my my recruiting class guys was George T, who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Copeland, who had to go to junior college. Uh, we had another great defensive lineman in our class named Dion McLeod, and he actually drowned and died. I remember that. Uh, I remember that. The summer, the summer before we reported, but you know we had guys like Antonio London, uh, yeah. Lamanty Hall, Kevin Lee, Jeremy Nunley, uh, Roosevelt Patterson. You know those were some of the the guys that were in my class. 
Golly, y'all. y'all hey, so we're going to have to let we got to get into the uh, right. Cam Ross. All right, thanks, Big C. That's Colin Big C. McGuire, the regular caller from Greenville, Alabama. And, uh, William, one of the reasons we brought you on tonight is uh, we want to help you uh, help us instill some calm in the Bama Nation after uh, what's been a kind of fretful few days regarding Cam Robinson and Hootie Jones, particularly Robinson. But now, William, we have an arraignment date of uh, June the 16th where they'll make their pleas over in Monroe, Louisiana, and uh, plenty of time between now and then for lawyers and the district attorney in Washita Parish to sit down and maybe hammer out some uh, possible plea agreements. Is that kind of how you see it? Yeah, you know, Carrie, from everybody that I've talked to, and, and some of them are, you know, people within the program, um, they they expect either the gun charge, the felony gun charge to be tossed out or, like you were alluding to, that it might get, you know, pleaded down. Um, you know, I think the the, the number one thing that, that Alabama fans need to look at is when Nick Saban was at Michigan State, um, he had this basic same situation. Well, it was a little bit different. The player had a prior drug possession marijuana charge and then the campus police found a gun in his car. And, you know, it's one of the, the, the more famous stories that Nick Saban likes to tell. Uh, it kind of coincides with the, uh, you know, the happy ending that D.J. Petway had with, with, you know, what Nick did for him. But, you know, Nick's on the record talking about how every, you know, media outlet in the country was trying to pressure him to kick this particular guy off the team. And, you know, he didn't do it. And, you know, once the guy got through being a great player at Michigan State, played in the NFL for like 10 years, uh, went on to become the CEO of a uh, a stock brokerage firm. And, you know, his daughter, you know, ended up graduating from Princeton. And, you know, the way Nick likes to spend that is, you know, do you want me to throw somebody like Cam Robinson to the gutter or do you want me to try and rehabilitate him and maybe his daughter ends up graduating from Princeton one day. And, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, for all the things that, you know, certainly Alabama fans have a different perspective on Nick Saban versus, you know, rival fans from other teams. You know, they they all think he's a, you know, a win-at-all-cost kind of guy, which I totally think is unfair when you look at, um, you know, the way these kids produce from a, a, a graduating standpoint. You look at a guy that, that I always kind of revert back to and DJ Fluker. You know, he came to Alabama and he couldn't even read. Um, you know, it was 440 pounds. Uh, you know, they took the bad weight off of him in his red shirt year. Um, you know, he graduated and got his degree. Uh, you know, he's gone on and done very well in the NFL. And, and you know, I think as fans, you know, you have to kind of take a step back from this kind of stuff and, you know, look at it. You know, could Nick Saban be a win-at-all-cost kind of guy? Um, Sure he could. I mean, he's got that kind of clout in college football. He could do whatever he wants to do. And nobody would probably, you know, other than the people in the media, nobody would say anything else about it. I mean, he's earned that kind of respect. But, you know, at his core, um, and this goes back to him growing up in a small coal mining town in West Virginia. Um, his mother and father ran a, you know, a, a full-service gas station slash 
Dairy Queen and that little, you know, small West Virginia coal mining town. You know, Nick and his dad ran the service station side of it, and his mother and his sister ran the Dairy Queen side of it. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I think Nick is kind of a throwback to, uh, you know, the, the, the last great generation in the United States, you know, the, the one that produced a guy by the name of Ronald Reagan that believes, you know, with the power of, you know, putting in a hard day's work every day, things are going to come good to you down the road. And, uh, you know, him and Miss Terry are really and truly, if you break it down to the bare bones, you know, they're misplaced high school they're a misplaced high school teacher and a high school football coach. You know, that's where he really works his magic. You know, when you look at the fact that last year they won the national championship and they had the highest graduation rate in the SEC, and that is even a higher graduation rate than even Vanderbilt. Um, I, I don't really understand why Alabama fans or even outside fan bases questions his motives and his principles about how he goes about doing his job on a daily basis. Um, he, he is without a doubt, in my opinion, the greatest of all time college football coach, what he does for these kids, you know, cause he sits in front of the five-star recruits uh, all the way down to the two-star recruits. And his pitch is the same way for both of them. Look, if your son is good enough to come here and is a three-and-done kind of guy, uh, you know, he's going to have the opportunity to be three-and-done and be a multimillionaire that gets a $20 million check on, on draft day. But before that happens, he's going to get his degree. Uh, we're going to make sure that he's a solid citizen. Um, and, you know, there's been some other guys that, that were, you know, you know, some of these, you know, recruiting idiots thought Marcel Darius was a three-star prospect. And I think that's, you know, the best example to use. But, you know, these kids that come to Alabama, you know, despite hiccups like you saw with, you know, Cam Robinson and, you know, you saw Rolando McClain and, you know, some of the struggles that, that you know, Mark Ingram and Julio Jones had with, you know, um, you know, contact with agents during the off season. Um, he does everything that he possibly can. He spares no expense to try and educate these kids. You can't, this is what you need to do. And this is what you don't need to do. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, the, you know, the best thing to, you know, talk about as far as Cam Robinson, you know, the first bad decision, at least publicly, um, that you've seen this young man make since he was, you know, the number one offensive line prospect in the country three years ago, which some people felt like he was the number one overall player. He's never been to detention hall in high school. Um, he's never flirted with being on the wrong side of the Alabama discipline board in the team meeting room. But, you know, this first bad decision was, was obviously a really, really bad one. Um, you know, my, my one and only question into the whole thing is, you know, what does a six foot seven, 330 pound man need a handgun for? Um, you know, if you want to smoke dope, what are you smoking it for in a, you know, a public park that's been closed for three hours. But I do expect based on everybody that I've talked to, Carrie, 
that this thing either gets tossed out or it gets played down to a misdemeanor. And, you know, I'm not going to speculate on what, you know, his possible punishment could be. I mean, it could be that it all gets handled internally. Um, you know, that Cam does community service in Tuscaloosa and, and never misses a rep, you know, versus USC. It could be that. It could be that he serves a three-game suspension. We'll just have to wait and see. And we'll know sooner than later. Uh, for those of you listening live, uh, South Carolina has a sacrifice fly in the second inning and leads Alabama's baseball team one nothing. We'll keep you posted as that develops. But, William, I'm glad that Big C asked you when you played, and I'm glad that you brought up that situation in the 90s, late 90s, with Michigan State and Nick Saban because you witnessed firsthand while you played at Alabama just prior to the national championship season of 1992 a young man get a second chance and even a third chance from Gene Stalin. Why don't you reiterate for our listeners who may not be familiar with that story, what went on that uh, July and August with David Palmer? Well, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I don't want to say it's funny because it's not, but I was personally involved in that situation. Um, and I'm not going to name the other person that was involved, but, you know, you're asking me about David Palmer's back-to-back DUIs. Um, thank God there wasn't an internet social media back then, but I got myself into a bad situation, um, you know, that particular summer. And, and as far as it went was Paul Feinbaum talking about it on the radio. Um, I had gotten basically carjacked, um, behind the original houndstooth on the strip and, um, you know, beat the piss out of the person that stuck a loaded nine millimeter to my head. And, you know, when the cops came and, you know, they tried to, you know, stick the handcuffs on me, I got a little physical with the Tuscaloosa police officer and, you know, got charged with, you know, beating up a a police officer. And, you know, that deal was plugged down to criminal mischief because, you know, uh, once they got me to the jail, uh, they treated me the same way that the LAPD did Rodney King. But me and another person that I won't mention by name and David Palmer after the, the you know, back-to-back DUI charges got sent to see a, cust- a, a substance abuse counselor. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really interesting watching, you know, that whole thing unfold. I mean, I sat in Coach Stalin's office and asked why I was getting treated more harshly than David Palmer was. Um, you know, after the, the second DUI charge, and, you know, he looked me straight in the face and he said, you know what, you were raised better than David was, so I expect more out of you. And the the thing that hit home to me is, you know, right after the media got through crucifying him for basically being honest and upfront and saying, you know what, I'm not going to let you guys in the media dictate to me what my decision is going to be on David's future with this football team. Um, and, you know, and one of the reasons that, you know, he was so successful as a head coach is he would do and say stuff like this. I mean, when he decided to, you know, dig his feet in the stand and, and uh, you know, bow his back and, and, you know, do stuff, I mean, he did it in a grandiose way. And he came into the team meeting room and, you know, told us, guess what? I'm not going to let the media tell me what I need to do with little David. Because at the end of the day, if y'all knew where he grew up, how he grew up, uh, you know, the fact that he had three kids 
before he ever even enrolled as a college freshman. Um, David Palmer needs this football team a lot more than this football team needs David Palmer. Now, you know, Kerry, 25 years later, um, I would disagree with him. Uh, you know, we were not exactly an offensive juggernaut in 1992, and I'm sorry, but that football team needed David a lot more than uh, that David needed the team. But I respect what he did as a man, um, as a figurehead of an organization. And, you know, it worked out after, you know, all that stuff was, you know, kind of, you know, fed through the legal system. He did what he was supposed to do and never had any more issues as long as he was in Tuscaloosa. Now, he did have some legal issues after he got through playing pro football. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of man that he was. If he believed in you and, and, you know, felt like you were a good team player, and I can't say enough positive things about David Palmer as a teammate. Um, off the field, away from football, um, he was a disaster. Um, I would even use the term a menace to society. But one of the best teammates that I ever had the pleasure of being associated with, you know, you don't see a lot of people – that have elite football ability that come out there and practice every day like they're a, a third-year walk-on, just, you know, hoping that you keep them on the team. And that's what David did. And there wasn't a position on that football team from 1991 to 1993, you know, away from this line of scrimmage on the offensive and defensive line that I don't think David Palmer could have started at and uh, been an all-SEC performer at. That's at quarterback, that's at running back, that's at linebacker, corner, safety, wherever. Um, you know, he's one of the best pure football players that I've ever been around. And, you know, he did what he had to do. He served his time. He had a head coach, just like Nick Saban's got, you know, Cam Robinson's back. Um, you know, he responded to all the criticism that was, you know, and all the turmoil that was going on in his life at the time and delivered when his team needed him to. And I expect kind of the same type of, uh, you know, in-game type thing from Cam Robinson. I'll be surprised if he misses a down versus Southern Cal. But if he does, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, if he doesn't play a game or two and maybe makes his debut against Ole Miss for his junior year, why don't you tell our listeners how you think the temporary fix would go down on the offensive line? That's the easiest question you've ever asked me. Um, it would be Jonah Williams at left tackle and Corin Curvin at right tackle. Which is what I typed in the back chat with Thomas. I, I just wanted to hear from you. And I know that you, William, uh, are a very, very big fan of Jonah Williams, and I don't know who the right defensive end is for Southern Cal. I'm sure he's a wonderful player. But an 18-year-old freshman, most, most of the time, wouldn't be able to handle it, but I think you feel differently about Jonah Williams. Well, I'll say this. I mean, you know, if you, if you look at Alabama's schedule, um, Southern Cal is going to be one of the most talented teams that they face next year. But where their elite talent level is, is at the skill positions. You know, it's a quarterback, it's a running back, it's a wide receiver, you know, it's a DB. They are not a very, very talented team along the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, in fact, uh, they lost their best returning defensive lineman 
uh, Kenny Bigelow back in the spring to an ACL tear. So odds are he's probably not going to be available for that game in Dallas. If he is, he won't be 100%. Um, but, you know, they're going to be a very talented team at the skill position. But, you know, I think it's safe to say we've talked about this, you know, until we're blue in the face on this show. You know, football games are won and lost along the line of scrimmage, and that's where Southern Cal is not going to be able to measure up with Alabama when they play in Dallas. And uh, Alabama got some pretty good recruiting news this week uh, because depth has been an issue for him at the running back position, among others, but at the running back position for sure. I think coming out of spring there were a total of two guys that Coach Saban and Lane Kiffin and Burton Burns would feel comfortable playing in the game, and that's Damian Harris and Bo Scarborough. But a young man from North Carolina who some had wondered, myself included, when or if he was going to qualify, got some good news this week and could find himself in the mix, at least for the number three position in that rotation sooner than later. Yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about B.J. Emmons, the, the running back from North Carolina. And I think this is another, you know, pretty simple, you know, common sense lesson for Alabama fans. If they haven't already figured it out, um, I don't think there's a school in the country, um, you know, once they get somebody in the fold that does a better job of, of getting, you know, kids once they get a commitment from them that are potential grade casualty guys as recruits, um, you know, on the right road to, you know, getting fully qualified, you know, better than what Alabama does. And, uh, you know, certainly that's a position of need. Um, you know, B.J. Emmons is, is going to be, you know, on campus, you know, June the 1st. Um, you know, you've got the, the guy that I think kind of compares favorably to uh, Kenyon Drake from Oklahoma, Joshua Jacobs. Um, it's going to probably end up being the number four running back. Um, but, you know, there's just so many different – um, you know, because I came from the culture where you were either fully qualified or you were a Proposition 48 guy, which, you know, back when I was being recruited and, and the whole time I was in college, schools were allowed to take, you know, two Proposition 48 kids every year. You know, they were automatically ineligible their their freshman year. And, you know, they had the opportunity if – they were in a position their junior years in college of graduating. They would get, you know, their fifth year back. You know, a guy by the name of Eric Curry came to Alabama, um, you know, under that thing, and got, he got his criminal justice degree in four years. Um, you know, the, the two guys in my class that, you know, came to school that way were Roosevelt Patterson and Junior Sewell. Um, you know, Junior got dismissed from the program for some – you know, some things that weren't related to academic process. But, you know, Roosevelt, um, you know, was there for, for five years. So, you know, it's changed a little bit. When, but when you start looking at, you know, guys being able to take classes um, at the two, you know, NCAA-approved virtual universities online, um, you know, that's one of the main ways that these kids become early enrollees. Uh, you know, case in point, Ryan Anderson. Um, you know, going into his the fall semester of his senior year, he was not on pace to be an early enrollee. 
and, you know, he took virtual classes online, uh, you know, killed himself with, you know, the, the, the normal routine of a, of a high school senior at school, uh, you know, going to football practice every day. But, you know, he took those night classes online and worked himself into being an early enrollee. So when you, you know, when you get to National Signing Day and you say, well, you know, these four guys have grade concerns, you know, nine times out of ten, especially with the way that, you know, Alabama's coaching staff and their compliance department structures things, um, nine times out of ten they end up having a happy out- outcome for these guys. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you about something else because uh, there has been a rumor going around that Oklahoma graduate transfer running back Alex Ross might consider Alabama he would be a guy that could get there and be the third running back and also help out in the uh, kick return game. But it's uh, it's starting to sound like now that uh, maybe Missouri's going to get him. Yeah, that's that's where I've heard he's going to end up, Kerry, is at Missouri. And I think there was a, you know, kind of a, you know, passing in the night flirtation between Alabama and him. But I've been told he's probably going to end up at Missouri. And that's probably good news for one of the smaller but faster guys on the team, Xavier Marks. Uh, I know that at the end of spring practice, William officially, Calvin Ridley was the number one punt returner and the number one kickoff returner. But I also know from hearing Coach Saban speak behind the scenes uh, that Xavier Ross, it was Xavier Marks, Xavier Marks was going to get a, a very big opportunity, and he did all spring, to win those two jobs. Uh, I have to tell you, though, William, I'm not sure anybody's told you this yet or not, but at the uh, first scrimmage of spring, it was the one where the Elephant Club is allowed to attend. And then afterward, Coach Saban, after he gets done with the media, comes upstairs to the zone and takes questions and gives comments to the Elephant Club. Uh, i got to tell you, I I cringe because I've been the butt of that wrath before when I asked the comparison question. Uh, at a press conference years ago about um, Marcel Berry. <laughs> but anyway, I, cr- I cringe, and people still remember that. But uh, I cringe because a guy who didn't look like he was in any danger of solving world peace or world hunger takes the microphone and asks Coach Saban, is, is it true that, that Xavier Marks reminds a lot of people of David Palmer? You can imagine the response. Yeah, and you know what's so interesting about that, Kerry, is, you know, especially early on in the first, you know, 07, 08 part of of Coach Saban's tenure, that Red Elephant Club scrimmage used to coincide with the A Club scrimmage, which I would always go to. And, you know, just because I was, you know, infatuated with the the Nick Saban, uh, you know, being the head coach, I mean, I hated his guts when he was at LSU. Um, you know, obviously that was, you know, during the, the end of the Dubos era, the, the Fran, you know, two-year deal, and, and obviously uh, the spring practice of Mike Price and certainly the, uh, you know, the first part of what I like to refer to as the Mike Sheila era. Um, I went to, I, I think, two of those deals in the spring, and, you know, there would always be some 80-year-old man you know, sitting in the front that would ask just some, you know, ridiculous off-the-wall dumb question. And, you know, I, I know it's, you know, because you're still in the media and it's it's revolved into 
or evolved into the, the Coke bottle and the Dasani water bottle being placed on the podium. But back then, I, I mean, I really did think a couple of times he was going to pick up the water bottle and throw it at one of these old men that were, you know, probably, you know, down the down the early stages of dementia. And, and you know, why would you even let them ask questions like that? But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Xavier Marks. I mean, I, I think there's, um, you know, maybe a, a bigger body guy, um, you know, talking about uh, Josh Jacobs that I think that could factor in, um, you know, into the returning game as well. You know, one thing you, you know, I think as you watch this thing now as we get into, you know, close to the 10-year mark of it, you know, Nick's got that NFL mentality where he likes to have his starters being heavily involved in special teams. Um, You know, is it a bad idea to have Calvin Ridley, uh, you know, being one of the kick returners and and, and the main main punt returner? Probably not. But, you know, this Josh Jacob kid really intrigues me from the standpoint of, you know, he's kind of got the Blake Sims body. Um, he's he's kind of got the, the Kenyon Drake skill set. What I mean by that is, you know, he could factor in as, you know, the fourth team running back, but you could also split him out as a slot wide receiver. Um, when, we, when you watch what he does with the ball in his hand as a high school quarterback. And I'm not trying to say that Xavier Marks is not going to have a role on this football team on special teams, but there's also quite a few other people that I think could possibly factor in there. We're talking to William Redfish Barger on the uh, Asian Rim Hotline for BAMS Radio. Uh, and Please check them out at AsianRim.com at the menu on the specials. But uh, right now, uh, William Thomas has a question for you. Yeah, William, uh, I was looking around, and I, I run a back chat, and I run a Twitter account. So I, I generally have multiple questions from multiple people, and I get the glory of picking one. And uh, one of the things that was reported a few days ago was former Philadelphia Eagle and Alabama staffer Ed Marinowitz is coming back to the capstone. The role hasn't really been defined based off what you see. Can you speak to anything like what, what kind of impact that hire might have in the recruiting personnel scouting department? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, regardless of whatever official title that you see Alabama, you know, trot out out there and attach it to Ed's name, make no mistake, he's going to be the director of player personnel um, he's going to run the recruiting department. Um, you know, he's, you know, God, this, this ages me a little bit to refer to him as a young man, but he is. Um, he's a guy that, you know, from 2008 to 2012, before he left to go to the Eagles, that had really um, caught Nick Saban's ear. He had kind of become a trusted confidant. Um, of Nick Saban as far as, uh, you know, kind of what his niche was and his role was on the staff is he did an outstanding job of identifying, you know, the top 150 recruits that they went after in a specific recruiting class. And, you know, once you get that initial list, the coaching staff sits around that big conference table and they start throwing darts at people and it gets whittled down. But, you know, what, what Ed excelled at is, you know, for somebody that never played 
the game at a high level. Um, he, he had a keen eye for talent from the evaluation process. And, you know, when you start looking at all those early, you know, number one recruiting classes that Nick Saban had, you know, he played a very, very big part in it. You know, probably his, you know, secondary role was, you know, how he managed the football camps during the summer. But but probably the most unique thing um, that I got to experience that he was kind of the quote-unquote manager of is as a fan, if you go to a game on Saturdays and Bryant Danny and you see those, you know, attractive young girls, ex- you know, escorting recruits um, on the sidelines before games, you know, and you, you, you'll, you'll, you know, this will scream Nick Saban when I tell this story. Um, you know, those people probably have one of the toughest jobs in that football building. And it's a result of Ed Marinowitz being a detailed-oriented, high achiever, just like Nick Saban is. Um, for those people to keep their jobs, um, they had to sit down at a conference room table with him at 10.30 on Friday night before all the home games. And he would sit there and hold up basically a headshot flashcard picture of, let's just say, a quarterback from California. And, you know, Thomas or Terry, if you were the young lady that was supposed to escort him out onto the field the next day, uh, with his high school game only being over, you know, 30 minutes prior, you not only had to recognize his face, you had to put his name with his face, and you had to be able to spout off, which were in his high school football game that night, in preparation for, you know, spending four or five hours with him the next day. And, you know, that was kind of the thing that made, you know, Ed unique to the program as he really brought and kind of expanded on, you know, the Nick Saban, you know, attention to detail, um, you know, part of the process, you know, within the recruiting process. And, you know, I'm tickled to death that he's back. Uh, I know Nick Saban's probably a lot happier about it than I am. And uh, I think that's just another you know, quality key in that front office portion of the Alabama football program that's going to, you know, benefit from this. Well, that's, uh, I have to say, I didn't realize that about Mr. Marwinowitz, and that's, uh, that's exciting. I certainly do not want the job of escorting prospects around the campus because, yeah, I don't remember those many that many numbers. I already do too much with that. <laughs> well, you know, Thomas, here's the bad part of the job. Um, if 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 you didn't get that flash card, you know, that headshot picture put in front of you, and you couldn't spout all this information off to Ed at ten forty five on a Friday night, he kept you there till three thirty in the morning until you could. That's a hell of a way to spend a Friday night. Particularly in Tuscaloosa, especially, all three of us <laughs> Well, especially if it's volunteered, you know, non-paycheck position that you know a lot of people would wander into and sign up for. Uh, you know, just wanting to be a part of the program, and you know, maybe mom and daddy said, "Oh yeah, go sign up for that recruiting hostess position." You know, back when I was there, they were called Bama Bells, and I can promise you. 
that attention to detail was not part of it. But, you know, Nick Saban wasn't the head coach in 1989 either. Well, Thomas, why don't you uh, throw out the number for some callers if they got a question for William or for us next hour. Yeah, we've got a few more minutes with uh, Redfish. If you want to ask him a question or you just want to get online to jump in before Jimmy Stein comes on with us, give us a holler at 714-510-3707. We'd love to hear from you. We, uh, we obviously have all three given our Cam Robinson takes, and I think they're different sides of the same coin, but uh, we, I'd be interested to hear. I know we'd all be interested, excuse me, to hear what you, the fan, think. So uh, give us a call, 714-510-3707. Well, you know, Thomas and Terry, the thing that the thing that really kind of struck chord with me, you know, when the you know arrest you know first took place on on early you know Tuesday morning, and you know I, I said this on Drew's you know radio show up in Huntsville, um, you know Tuesday at lunchtime, you know the outcry from Alabama fans, you know it, it really just. You know, it's like somebody was driving a nail in the back of my head. Um, you know, he's got to go. They've got, you know, him and Hootie have to go. This is an open and shut case. You know, we're better than this. We don't need this kind. Of, you know, let the let, let the the legal process take its course. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to you know diminish from the 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 the, the, the thing of you know. Two kids being in a in a park at you know two thirty in the morning. The park was closed. Obviously, they made a a bad decision that attracted unneeded attention to them. You know, the cops get there, and uh, you know Hootie Jones has a, a loaded pistol sitting in his lap. Number one, he's lucky that the cop didn't shoot him in the face. Uh, you know, number two, you've got a guy that's you know as we're sitting here talking about it tonight, that's 11 months away from getting a $20 million check dumped into his bank account. Yeah, it's dumb. But I guess the thing that frustrates me the most about the Alabama fan base is, you know, you, you want to rush to judgment and, 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 and judge these kids. And you have no clue the kind of environment that they've been that they've grown up in, you know, Kerry got me to talk about the David Palmer situation, and there's a, a much bigger story that I really don't feel comfortable about sharing on this show because it is public um, that, that involves him. But, you know, how the three of us were raised in the environment that we were raised in and, and the, the principles and values that our parents instilled in us, um, you know, I know you two guys well enough to know that you both had mothers and fathers, and I did too. But a lot of these kids don't have dads. Um, a lot of them don't have mothers. Um, you know, in David Palmer's instance, you know, like I talked about, he was the father of three children, the oldest one being six years old when he showed up as a freshman at Alabama. So he fathered that child at 13 years old. Um, I just think it's unfair. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to diminish um, the bad decisions that were made early Tuesday morning that led to the arrest of Cameron Robinson and Hootie Jones. But, you know, at the end of the day, I just think you have to stop and, you know, think about this stuff before you run out there on social media and, and you know, condemn a kid. And that's one of the things – 
that I have the utmost respect about with Nick Saban is, you know, we've talked about this before with him and his wife, Terry, you know, kind of being a tag team as a high school football coach and Terry maybe being the principal. Um, you know, they're educators. They're, they're, they're people that, you know, they get these kids and they turn them into young men better than what they were. When they leave three or four to five years later than when they got there, they're better human beings. And, you know, let that part of, you know, everybody wants to look at wins and losses and national championships and SEC titles. But where the real magic takes place at what Nick Saban is doing in Tuscaloosa is the values that he instills in these kids. And, and I respect him. I, you know, I'll, I'll go out there and I'll defend him till I'm blue in the face for not throwing, you know, the DJ Petways and probably what you're going to see with Cameron Robinson you know, out into the street, into the gutter, over just making one bad decision as a college student. Yeah, certainly. I I compared it to a puppy. You know, can you get mad at a puppy when it pees on the floor? No, you have to try and teach it. And I think your your statement is a little little more eloquent than mine, but, you know. I doubt that. But, no, I, I agree with you about that, though, Thomas. I mean, you know, look, let's be honest. Um, you know, I've heard so many different arguments over the last, what, oh, damn, close to 30 years. That's how old I am. Of, of you know, these, these, these athletes are, you know, getting privileged treatment. And, you know, what would happen to them if they were, you know, normal citizens? Well, guess what? We don't live in a society where everybody gets treated the same. And, you know, uh, they they want to talk about, oh, you know, now they're getting the cost of living expense money and, uh, you know, they're getting the Pell Grant money. Uh, well, guess what? Uh, you know, the people, you know, if the NCAA, by their own definition, okay, they want a guy to be a student, then an athlete, okay? And, and, you know, the, the people that are on acad- full-ride academic scholarships, which are, if, you allow, if you're allowed to keep that for four or five years, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of scholarship money, those people are allowed to work. They, they can go out and get a, you know, gainful employment, you know, making, you know, twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year. The football players are. And guess what? Um I mean, I can't speak for, you know, you, Thomas, or you, Carrie, but, you know, somebody shoot me in the head and remind me of the last time that, you know, I spent $100 to go watch somebody compete in the calculus bowl. Never. I might have done that once or twice, but I'm the definition (laughs) of nerd. I get that. You spent $100? Not $100, but, you know. Spent your time. <laughs> I spent $100 worth of time. That's for damn sure. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and guess what, and guess what guys? This is, this is the bottom line, and I've tried to tell people this for 30 years. Um, and I'm not going to give you details. I'm not going to name names. But, you know, for, for the average Alabama fan that pays their money for those season tickets to sit in Bryant-Denny Stadium, on a Saturday in September or October, and 
I, I, I've been around it for so long, I, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, redundant to do. They go there, and what the production that they watch on a Saturday afternoon, they think it's a Walt Disney production to get 22 guys on both sides of the line of scrimmage to that point. And if they knew what I know, it's not a Walt Disney production. It's a triple X-rated movie production. You know, it's funny you say that, Weed, because uh, without going into detail, why don't you tell me if I'm warm or cold on the story you didn't tell earlier, if it has anything to do with what you just said, plus Kentucky Fried Chicken, plus Jimmy Fuller making a recruiting trip to Birmingham. <laughs> well, it wasn't just Jimmy close? Fuller. It, it was Jimmy close? Fuller and Woody McCourty. Um, but, yeah, uh, we don't want to get BAM's radio uh, eliminated off of, uh, you know, the airwaves over telling what really so, went on. I, I just want to make sure that was the story you're talking about because I know exactly the story you're talking about. And, and that is, without a doubt, the, the greatest of all-time recruiting story I've ever heard. You know what? I'll give you number two, and I'll tell this on BAMS Radio. The second greatest recruiting story I've heard is Danny Pearman uh, visiting a player in South Carolina, an offensive lineman who we shall not name. Do you know where I'm going with this? I, I, well, I don't know if I've necessarily heard the story, but I know who you're talking about. Is this, this, are his initials uh, J.H.? Uh, did he play offensive line? He's from South Carolina? Yeah. Okay. Yes. And Mr. when Danny got when – okay. Yes. And when Danny got to the house, uh, unless it was, yes, it was Mr. Holiday, now an attorney. So Danny gets to the house, and uh, the future Alabama offensive lineman says, Coach, I got something I got to show you. And he says, Okay. And uh, Danny goes into his bedroom and comes back with a shoebox and opens up the lid. And there's about a foot long, dried up turd that he was so proud he couldn't flush it. He wanted to show Coach before he did it. <laughs> Now that it's is so that is funny. That that's kind of a gross story, but it's it's not as X-rated as the one we didn't tell. Well, you know, it's so funny that uh, that you brought him up because uh, you know he was, I think, there for one year. Um, I think he was a freshman my senior year, and you know, there's always buyer's remorse from a coaching standpoint, after you bring somebody in as a true freshman. And, you know, the particular person that you're talking about, let's just say there was some buyer's remorse there on the coaching staff. And, you know, Coach Stallings, I mean, for, you know, the the 12 months that I was there my senior year while he was a freshman, um, you know, because, you know, Coach Stallings, you know, I guess the best way I could kind of equate it to that the listeners would understand was his mindset was that of a Marine drill sergeant. And, you know, there were times where he would make him drop down and say, guess what? So-and-so I bet you can't give me 10 perfect push-ups right here, right now in the team meeting room. And, you know, the person that we're talking about would drop down and he would struggle, but, you know, he would eke out 10 push-ups. Um, 
you know, when we would walk out before we would have to practice, you know, we were supposed to do five dips and five pull-ups on the bars there that used to be anchored on the side of the football complex. He would follow him out there and go, guess what, you fat, you know what, I bet you can't give me five perfect pull-ups. Well, of course, at 330 pounds, he couldn't do five perfect pull-ups. But, you know, it it was just interesting to see, um, you know, the buyer's remorse from a coaching uh, staff standpoint, how that stuff all played out. Um, And, and, you know, the guy ended up having a decent career at Alabama, uh, but certainly, you know, when you look at the recruiting hype and, and all that other stuff, he probably was a little bit of a disappointment on paper. But, you know, and I think that's, you know, something that we haven't talked about was certainly a a big story a week ago, um, especially when you factor in what happened with Cameron Robinson. We haven't touched on Charles Baldwin's, you know, dismissal from the program. And, uh, you know, I think that was a classic case of buyer's remorse. Uh, you know, on the player's side of the stick, he obviously didn't listen to – how stringent the rules were, what you were expected to do as a player as far as walking the straight and narrow. Um, He must have ignored the discipline board and the merits to go on with that. Uh, You know, from the coaching staff standpoint, um, a huge miss in the evaluation process, something that I hope uh, somebody that we've already talked about being named Ed Marinowitz can help out with, because I do think that this coaching staff struggles with junior college offensive linemen evaluations. Uh, but, you know, that, that Charles Baldwin dismissal, I've seen, I've gotten this a lot, especially since, you know, what happened on Tuesday with Cam Robinson. You know, what in God's name did Charles Baldwin do to get kicked off the team if we're three days removed from, you know, Cameron Robinson getting arrested on a felony gun charge and he hasn't been dismissed. Um, and, you know, that Baldwin situation was a a classic, you know, mutual agreement between the player and the coaching staff. The coaching staff did a bad job of evaluating him as a prospect. Um, the player, and I'm talking about Charles in this instance, did a bad job of evaluating the program uh, that he checked off on and said, you know what, I want to be a part of. And, you know, th- there was no felony or misdemeanor charges with the police that led to him getting dismissed from the program. It was a classic case of virus remorse. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, it sounds kind of shallow and bad, but I think both sides of that story did a great job. The player was like, you know, let me go find somewhere where I can be lazy and, and not have to adhere to all these rules. And the coaching staff side of it was like, oh, yeah, we're going to find you a place to land softly, and it's going to allow us to go out and get somebody else that will buy in and do things the way that we want them done. Well, there you go. Well, William, we appreciate you giving us almost an hour. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, take our only break. Um, so just uh, thank you for your time tonight and appreciate you calling in, and we'll talk to you again soon. Uh, William? 
Hey, thank you, Terry. Tom, sign Jordan. All right, that's William Redfish Barger, former Alabama offensive lineman, always gives us a great insight. We're going to take our one and only break of the evening tonight. We'll be back in a very quick amount of time. You're listening to BAMS Radio. Radio. wanted to uh, give you a little bit of an update on the uh, baseball game going on uh, at the renovated Joe tonight in Tuscaloosa, Alabama now trails 3 to nothing uh, to South Carolina, uh, due in part to an error uh, by an Alabama outfielder. Twitter is not very specific about who it was, but if you're watching the game, I'm sure you know who it was. But it's 3 nothing. Bama's now batting in the bottom of the fourth. Will Haney of Alabama has let off that inning with a single. He now has an eight-game hitting streak, but his team is down 3 nothing. Bama did leave two men on base, uh, in the third inning, so they blew a scoring opportunity and didn't take advantage of, uh, you know, the situational hitting that Drew's been harping on for the last three or four months. Uh, they had done that in their last four games, the three-game sweep over Arkansas and the win this past Tuesday at home against Sanford. Tonight they're not doing that thus far, but the game is only one-third over. But Alabama is down 3 nothing to 10th rank South Carolina in a game, in a series, where Alabama really, as Drew had said all week, needs to take two out of three to kind of enhance their seeding and still be determined in the SEC tournament. And uh, thank you so much for listening to BAMS Radio. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BAMAMag.com, and I'm joined, as always, back in the studio by Thomas Watts, our producer of uh, Touchdown Alabama Magazine. 
Drew is not with us, at least as of yet, because he's working the state softball tournament in Montgomery. But we are joined on the Asian Rim hotline. Check them out at AsianRim.com. A lot of specials going on. Great menu. We are joined right now by LJS Law. Did you know him on Twitter and the Internet? Or as you know him, if you know him in person like I do, Jimmy Stein. Uh, Jimmy, uh, welcome tonight to Bands Radio. Thanks, uh, thanks, Kerry, for having me on. Glad to have you. And I was just curious, have you been watching any of the baseball games? I have not watched any of the Alabama baseball game. No. What's ha- what's happening? I know they're down three nothing, and uh, Carolina apparently got two runs on an error by one of our outfielders. I'm not sure who. And we left two on the third, and Will Haney has singled to lead off the fourth as the comeback hopefully begins. But uh, Drew's been harping uh, for the last couple of weeks that Alabama needs to take two out of three this weekend and get at least one in Hoover so they can increase their seeding from the probable three they have right now in a road regional to a two. Uh, But they're not off to a great start yet. But, again, you know, the game is only one-third over. Well, South Carolina, I'm sure, has a, a very high RPI. Uh, so I, I think one out of three this weekend would really help us. Uh, I don't know what we'd really think, have to do to get to two. I would two, take that but, right now. Yeah, yeah, one out of three against South Carolina is pretty pretty, pretty sporty. They're, they're a, a fantastic program, and that, that's a good baseball team. And they're ranked 10th in the country. I'm not sure they're RPI either, but they're ranked 10th in the polls. Uh, and, of course, Alabama softball has uh, got, a, got a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, after going one and one in the SEC tournament, they'll be at home uh, starting tomorrow, weather permitting. Uh, there's supposed to be a lot of rain in the area these next few days, but weather permitting, the first pitch will be at 4 p.m. tomorrow against Sanford, which is coached by former Alabama player Mandy Burford. So a lot of things going on away from football, Jimmy, but we brought you on to talk football and the law, uh, specifically uh, we are all aware of what has gone on with Cam Robinson and Hootie Jones, we now know that there is an arraignment uh, set for the 16th of June at 1.30 p.m. That was announced today by the District Attorney of Washita Parish, which is Monroe, home to Duck Dynasty, but also home uh, to the young men that got caught doing the wrong thing in the middle of the night at a park with pot and guns. So, Jimmy, as an attorney, take us through what you think will happen between now and June 16th, between whichever attorneys are uh, hired by Cam and Hootie and that DA? Well, what's going to happen on the uh, defense side is the attorneys will meet with, uh, with Cam and Hootie, assuming they have uh, different attorneys, which is, which is usually the case when you have two, two defendants charged with a crime that sort of arises out of the same set of circumstances. The smart thing to do is to have two different attorneys when that happens. And, They'll meet together now in an arraignment of uh, defendant is just simply entering a plea of guilty or not guilty. In the vast majority of situations, you just enter a not guilty plea, which gives you more time to put together your defense or to potentially work out some sort of a deal with the district attorney's office regarding re- reduced charges or even the dropping of charges as more facts are put together. I think with the Cam and Hootie deal right now in terms of just uh, general talk radio and message board hysteria. I think there's just too many assumptions being jumped to when we don't really have any more facts than what's in the police report. So right now the attorneys are just gathering information, gathering, uh, you know, what, what, what Hootie and Cam's explanation are for things, as we all know. 
gun charge as it relates to Cam is a, a far more serious matter than the possession of, of marijuana charge, uh, which, which is not to glom over it. It's certainly an, an, an illegal act. Uh, it's just that very few people, you know, there, there's not serious ramifications for for someone with the first offense for such a for such a misdemeanor such as that. It's 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 the gun charge as it relates to Cam, which is the real serious matter here, obviously. Okay, and I agree with that. But I want to ask you, uh, as a Baldwin County resident, did you find it ironic that the gun that was under the driver's side seat where Cam was sitting was stolen 13 months ago from Baldwin County, A, and B, do you really think he knew that? Well, there's there's no telling. It, it would just be such a wild speculative guess as, as to what Cam knew. Uh, but the fact that it was stolen from Baldwin County 13 months ago is a good example of why sometimes these charges change. Because under the law, to be convicted of a criminal offense, the defendant needs to have an intent to commit a crime. In the instance, if Cam purchased or was gifted this gun by someone he knew, by a friend, by a relative, and Cam had absolutely no reason to believe it was stolen, then Cam has not committed a crime of any kind. That's why we need additional facts to come out before we can decide to suspend him for a season or decide not to punish him at all. We just don't know. But possession of stolen property in and of itself is not a crime. It's your intent. Did he know or should he have known? For instance, if he bought this gun off the street from someone he does not know for $10 and it's a $200 gun, then yeah, he probably should have known it was a stolen weapon. But we have no idea where Cam got the gun. If he even knew the gun was under his seat, perhaps someone had borrowed his car or he was driving someone else's car or a relative's car. Uh, we just don't know those facts. But I think the fact that the gun was stolen from Bowen County, while being a little ironic, uh, is, is more evidence of, that we don't, of what we don't know about this case, which is I don't I, – I think what we'll be really surprised here to find out is if if Cam himself stole a pistol from Baldwin County, Alabama, 13 months ago. I, I think we can almost rule that out. But, uh, again, it just gets – where did this come from and where did Cam get the gun if the gun was, in fact, in Cam's possession? Again, we just don't know yet. I want to read you a post, Jimmy, from one of the Alabama forums that came out just – just less than 24 hours after the news broke about Cam and Hootie. And, and I want to precede reading this to you by saying that every time something like this happens to an Alabama football player, our wonderful fan base becomes judges, juries, executioners, district attorneys, and journalists. They assume all those roles. So this person right. was posting on a, on a prominent Alabama forum, and the title of the post is, just spoke to a DA in Louisiana. He posted this a couple of days ago. And he apparently had a friend that's a DA in Louisiana. This is a Bama fan, and he called over there, and this is what he posted. I'm just going to read it to you, and I just want you to react. Below is exactly what he told me and what he thinks will happen with Cam Robinson. And the next couple of paragraphs are in italics. The possession of a stolen firearm has an affirmative defense if 
Hunter had no knowledge that the firearm was the subject of any form of misappropriation. That's pretty much what you just said. Highly likely he knew or should have known it was stolen, but very difficult for the prosecutor to prove without direct evidence or co-defendant testimony. And then he goes on to say, I say he serves no time in jail and may even get an offer for a diversion program. This DA I spoke to is not the Wachita Paris DA, but he is a big LSU supporter. He does not think Cam will do any time at all and will get more heat from Saban than Louisiana legal system. Your thoughts? Uh, I wouldn't disagree. Certainly nothing in that uh, post was factually incorrect uh, and, and extremely common. Usually, people all the time, you know, talk about deals from the DA and reduced charges. Most of the time, or, or many times, when you're talking about a situation like that, it's when the district attorney's office doesn't feel like a conviction is a slam dunk. And in an instance where they're not sure they can prove that Cam knew or should have known it was stolen, then the DA's office wants to make a deal. They want a lesser charge. They want to if they feel there was actual wrongdoing to some level, they, they certainly want punishment for the defendant. But if they can't get a conviction on, on the main charge, it's often the DA's office that, that, that pursues a deal or offers a deal to the defense. So uh, those things can, can often happen. I would also say this is also another huge possibility. Of course, I'm an attorney in Alabama, and frankly, I, I don't really work uh, in, in the criminal field that often. I know a little bit about it, but it's not something that I regularly do. But I think another high possibility here is that Cam is 20 years old. He qualifies for youthful offender status. If that is granted by the judge in this case, then everything that happens in the case is sealed. Cam is treated as a juvenile offender, not as an adult. And the outcome of the case, the trial of the case, evidence in the case, is all completely sealed as the law acts to protect juveniles who are accused of, uh, of crimes. So I think that uh, youthful offender status is something that could happen here, which I wouldn't say uh, eradicates Cam's responsibility altogether, but it keeps it out of the media. Uh, as far as us football fans are concerned at Alabama, uh, Coach Saban can sort of at that point just do whatever he feels is right and, and probably wouldn't take a lot of heat in the sense that the public really wouldn't know any of the facts or what happened or what Cam's punishment is, if there's any punishment at all. So I think youthful offender status is something that could happen. Cam is not – no no one uh, over the age of, of 18 uh, in Louisiana is entitled to youthful offender status, but it is something that can be granted to someone younger than 21. So the judge can do that. So that, that's another – alternative that could happen here that would really change things. With this being a first-time offense, would that help his case in being granted youthful offender status? No question. There's several, there several factors the court takes into account as to whether to grant youthful offender status to someone older than 18 and younger than 21, and his record is definitely among them. The fact that he has enrolled in college and on course to graduate and has character witness such as his high school coach and the community and things like that. Those are all factors as well in terms of, of how he should be treated. Now, now here, here's the dark side, and, and I don't think this should be overplayed. I'm sort of half-joking, but this is a, an area with tons of LSU fans, from the district attorney's office to the judge himself to, to, to the constituents that elect 
the judge into office and elect the district attorney into office and the media that covers this and everyone in the courtroom, they're all LSU fans. I, I think it's fair uh, for Alabama fans to be nervous about that. I mean, in the sense that, I mean, is, is Cam going to get the same treatment as, as, as an LSU player charged with the same thing? Honestly, as a lawyer, my answer is yes. My, my answer is yes. I have complete faith in the system no matter where, where it is. But it's fair to say, you know, they're all LSU fans. And, and, and frankly, the LSU people uh, that are football fans, I'm sure they would like to see Cam punished uh, because they're, they're mad that he left Monroe to go play in Tuscaloosa. But, but honestly, I, I really think uh, what's going to happen is what happens when anyone uh, in Cam's position is charged with this and he has a clean record, uh, possession of stolen property is a, is a difficult uh, it's a difficult thing to prove because, again, you had to know that it was stolen property or should have known it was stolen property. And there's just lots of ways that that gun could have ended up in Cam's hands innocently. So we'll just see what Cam's story is. And, and if he's granted youthful offender status, we'll never know what his story is, and, and, and that's fine too. I have heard, and I have no knowledge myself, of the you know mindset of the DA in Washita Parish, which is where Monroe was located. But I've been told that his reputation is that he does not go above and beyond to stick a felony on a first-time offender if it can be pled down. I hope that rumor is true. But but I would think in general for a first-time offender, if, if there's a way to plead a, a felony down to a misdemeanor, I would think in general – that that would happen for first-time offenders. Has that been your experience? Uh, yes, yes. You know, we have to remember that the law, the laws, it's in black and white, but the, the, the judges are people, the district attorneys are people, uh, judges have kids, district attorneys have kids, uh, kids make mistakes, young people make mistakes, uh, and, and it's been my experience when I've dealt with things similar and I've been in the courtroom when things like this have been handled, it's my experience that people are treated fairly uh, and, and, and fairly. Sometimes I, I don't really like that term slap on the wrist because Cam's already experienced something in my opinion, that's far more beyond a slap on the wrist. His name is now known from one end of the country to the other. He's on every sports crawl in the country. Uh, you know, he, he's been, as you alluded to earlier, found guilty by the, the public uh, of something that, that a court has yet to find him guilty of. And, uh, you know, I, I, so, so in, in a high-profile situation, I don't know that slap on the wrist is a, is a great way to describe it, but, but in my experience, uh, people who have a clean record, who, who are doing good things in the community, uh, if, they, if they make a mistake where no one is injured, you know, no one's injured here, no one's, no one's going to the hospital, no one's been, been shot or killed, no one is alleging that Cam was, was robbing anyone or anything like that. Uh, it's my experience that, that the judges treat types of defendants fairly. Yes, and the judge is certainly going to play a big role in it. But I'm thinking also, you know, once this, the attorneys meet with the DA, I, right. I, I'm thinking there could be some pleading done before the arraignment possibly, maybe. Uh, before the arraignment would be a little unusual. It depends on how many fa- what, what facts are in is is. There will be discussions between the district attorney and Cam's and Cam's attorney prior to the arraignment or the day of the arraignment in terms of 
what Cam's defense is, what his story is, and what the DA has been able to unearth. There could be facts that the DA and his investigative team have uh, has unearthed that could either further exonerate Cam or make the situation worse. Uh, the DA's office will have some information, and again, the, the Cam's attorney will. But in terms of what happens at most arraignments, most arraignments are very uh, non-newsworthy most of the time. Now, in Cam's case, there's going to be a little bit of urgency to, hey, let's, let's get this done, let's get this behind us. So that could change things, but most of the time arraignments are non-newsworthy. No, they, I don't think they'd be newsworthy unless one of them pleaded guilty. Sometimes sure. it happens when you have to deal. You can have the deal worked out. Sometimes the deal can be worked out at the arraignment, and the whole thing can be taken care of there, where there is a guilty plea, but to a lesser offense. I can't have Yeah, that was right. what I was. That was where I was going with that prior question. Could could they sit down and say, "Look, our guys know they screwed up. Our guys know they shouldn't have done that. They're willing to plead to these charges. Will you accept this, Mr. DA?" And and maybe by the time they get to the judge. And possibly everything can be taken care of. I know it's not a done deal, but but the possibility exists, right? Yes, that that that, that possibility exists. I, I wouldn't count on it happening, but but that possibility exists. I think it's more likely a deal would be struck after the arraignment, but before the trial. Uh, that that's when it would most likely be done. But can it be done at the arraignment? Uh, no, no question that that, that it is possible. And if anyone out there is listening live and would like to call and ask a, either of us a question about this or any other Alabama-related situation, you can call the BAMS Asian Realm Hotline at 714-510-3707. Uh, don't forget to check out Asian Realm when you're in Birmingham if you like Thai food or just food, period. They're located in the Palmay Shopping Center just off US-280, and you can check their menu out and all their specials at AsianRealm.com. But one of their owners is uh, Paige Hockman, who is the mom of Alabama baseball player Georgie Salem. And uh, things uh, continue to unravel a bit tonight at the Joe as the Tide is now trailing uh, four to nothing uh, as we play uh, in the fifth, bottom of the fifth, with, with Cujan, Holcomb, and Vance coming up to bat for the Tide, trailing four to nothing. A lot of work to be done. <laughs> to get, and, and I'm with you, Jimmy. I would take one out of three. But uh, there are other people, uh, my friend Drew included, uh, that, that think they need to get two out of three so they can improve to a two seed. Uh, but if, if they can get one out of three and, and at least one in Hoover, meaning that you don't get the single elimination of losing day one in Hoover, if they can get one of these three and get that first one in Hoover and go into the double elimination bracket, I would I would be okay and, and would feel like they would still get the three when the field of 64 is announced. Uh, but moving on to other sports, we didn't talk about this first hour, but I'll talk about it with you, Jimmy, because you, yep. like me, uh, and like Drew and Thomas, are Bamba basketball fans. And Avery Johnson reeled in a gigantic transfer who will have to sit out this year but will be eligible for the following three years. Uh, and that is former Ohio State player and Atlanta native, but Daniel Giddens, 6'10", uh, 230, 235, a guy who can block shots, is athletic around the rim, and a year to improve his low post game. Jimmy, this is a guy that could be a true factor in 2017. 
Absolutely, that was a, a big deal. I think he was he was a national top fifty player coming out of high school out of the Atlanta area, and, uh, and you know these big guys, uh, big body, tall guys. They're they're sort of the recruiting gold. If if defensive linemen are the recruiting gold in football, then uh, big interior bodies are uh, the recruiting gold in college basketball. Just because just a matter of uh, math and, and biology. There's just fewer of those guys. Uh, there's a lot of six-foot guards out there, but there's just not a lot of six-foot-ten, 235-pound, talented, athletic interior guys like Daniel. So that, that was a, a huge score for for uh, for Avery, and uh, he'll, he'll be needed. Uh, Jimmy Taylor is a senior uh, this this upcoming season, and he'll be able to slide right in and, 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 and sort of replace Taylor on the roster and Perhaps uh, what I'm hoping is what I'm hoping out of Daniel is that he can give us the same or better defensive presence, but also have a little offensive game uh, as well, so we can get some scoring out of that spot. Because, gosh, out of that center spot lately, uh, Alabama just hasn't gotten really any offensive scoring out of the five spot on the floor. I think the last one was probably Michael Green, Jimmy. It was a while back. We were younger. I can promise you that. Oh yeah, <laughs> Michael Green played a lot, played a lot of five, and, and he could score. And, and he's now playing for Memphis in the NBA. But there hasn't been anybody feel, like. Doesn't that. that feel like ten years ago? That feels like ten years. I know it wasn't. Feels like ten years ago. It does. Yeah, and, I, and, and it was ten years ago when I was watching him play for St. Jude's in Montgomery. Going, man, I hope we get this guy. Come on, Philip Pearson, sign you, Michael. But I also said, come on, John Pelfrey, uh, new assistant mm-hmm. associate head coach, uh, help us get Daniel Giddens, who you recruited while you were at Florida, and he did. And I understand, not not officially, but I understand unofficially that Bob Simon is probably going to swing from the big men to the guards and that John Pelfrey is probably going to coach the big men. So John Pelfrey not only helped bring in Daniel Giddens, Jimmy, but he's going to have a chance to make him a better player. Well, Pelfrey was such a big pickup. I, you know, I think – I don't think it can be understated how big Pelfrey, what the addition is, not just in terms of his connections with recruiting, but John Pelfrey is a lifetime college coach uh, and, and college player, and particularly in the SEC. And and that is what's the, the gaping hole in, in Avery Johnson's resume in terms of coaching Alabama, where Avery has been a lifetime NBA guy. And, and I think uh, John Pelfrey can be a real help to Avery in navigating the college basketball world from, from recruiting to dealing with the kids to dealing with, with the media and the fans, college basketball, and in particular the SEC is what John Pelfrey knows. And uh, and to be completely honest, this really has nothing to do with him being hired to Alabama. I, I thought Pelfrey was really good on the air this past year. He, he broadcast a lot of Alabama games, and uh, I, I was really drawn to his enthusiasm for the game and uh, his excitement, sort of nickname, Obasahan, the, the Belgian bulldozer, that sort of that sort of came from Pelfrey, and uh, I, I'm excited to have him. I, I think that it, it's a great hire, and it's really going to help Avery. As to how much it helps recruiting, I'm not sure, uh, you know, in terms of, of how dynamic the recruiting is, but his experience in dealing with college basketball in the SEC I think will be very helpful to Avery. Turning over to football recruiting, uh, Florida has a commitment from a dynamic player uh, from your neck of the woods down there, Blount High School, uh, a quarterback, uh, 
has been told he'll be a quarterback at Florida. And now Alabama has entered the fray for this young man with a recent offer. Tell our listeners who he is and what he brings to the table. Well, Kadarius Tony is, is, a, is a really good athlete. Uh, I, I consider him myself more of an athlete prospect than a quarterback prospect in the sense that what really stands out to me about Kadarius is he's long, he has long arms, he's a legitimate six-foot Weighed 177 in a camp this, this spring. That sort of surprised me. I, I think he'll play in college, probably in the 190 range. So at six foot 190, he would be a really good wide receiver, maybe a safety. Uh, runs like in the 4.6 range, but it's a true 4.6 with good quickness. Above all that, he has carry fantastic leadership ability, the intangibles, the instincts. I think I'll tell you, he's sort of similar to is uh, a kid over at Auburn, uh, Jason Smith, uh, you know, who I think has been a pretty pretty decent guy for them. I, I think athletically, Kadarius is sort of similar to Jason Smith. Now, where he's different than Jason is Kadarius is a real quarterback. And uh, the fact that Alabama's offered him as an athlete doesn't change my mind about one thing, and that is if Kadarius sticks with Florida and, and goes there and, and they give him his shot at quarterback that was promised to him by Coach Mack, I'm not going to be surprised at all if he sticks at quarterback because he makes wow throws. And, and what, what I say by that is I saw Blunt play three times last season between uh, television and in person, and every single game you see that kid, he makes a handful of throws that that – make you believe why he might really stick at quarterback because not only is there the high velocity throws that you need to make in the SEC, but it's, it's just such a good range of throws. He also throws a fantastic deep ball. Now, again, he's just six foot tall, 177 pounds, not the typical body style of an SEC passer. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't bet the mortgage he's going to stick at quarterback, but I think, He's a very interesting kid at quarterback. And then one more thing about him that I think is fantastic. I, I've called him a point guard uh, when he plays quarterback because he's a great ball distributor. He, Harry, he had three receivers at Blunt last year that all had 1,000 yards receiving, three different guys. None of them signed Division One scholarships. So he made really good wide receivers out of, of kids that weren't necessarily elite. And to me, that's a sign of a kid. He makes everyone around him better. Blunt plays an extremely difficult region, an extremely tough schedule. He still threw for way over 3,000 yards, rushed for nearly 1,000 yards. Uh, winner, great intangibles, great kid. Uh, my feeling is he sticks with Florida because they're going to give him a legit shot at quarterback. If it's not Florida, he could end up at a South Carolina, who I think would also give him a legit shot at quarterback. Uh, Alabama has offered him, but but as more of a slot receiver, athlete type, I, I doubt that's going to be enough to, to to bring him in because I think what he wants is that shot at quarterback. But good kid, uh, a lot of good players down in Mobile uh, in the Mobile area this year. Canary is probably top five or six uh, in the area. Um, but interesting that Alabama extended this this uh, sort of late offer as far as the evaluation period goes. You know what I love about Jimmy is about you is you, you're kind of you're you're really becoming a radio veteran, uh, and I guess part of that is the fact that you've been doing a podcast for a couple of years with Luke Robinson called Talking Tuscaloosa. 
But I got to tell you, you're the only person I've ever interviewed live on a radio show, a podcast that's going to be after the show, that was able to uh, cover two completely definitions of the word blunt in one interview. <laughs> that's true. We didn't do that. <laughs> the ones in the park in Monroe and the school in Mobile. Uh, and speaking of schools, Jimmy, uh, I can give you some good news about baseball. Uh, that 4 nothing deficit has been cut in half as freshman second baseman Kobe Vance hit a two-run homer, and Bama is still batting in the fifth, but now trailing 4-2 to against Carolina. I can also pass along some basketball recruiting news. Uh, Bama was briefly involved with uh, Romello White, uh, a power forward, uh, but he was a high school player, and uh, he has now signed Arizona State. Alabama, and listen, uh, you know, the longer you follow stuff, the better you get at, at reading between the lines, Jimmy. And when the media asked Avery Johnson yesterday at the Regents program about his roster situation, does, you know, the question was something along the lines of, do you plan to make any more you know, additions to your roster between now and the start of the season? He, he, he paused. He looked the report in the eye. He smiled. And he said, we have one scholarship available. Now, let me give you the between-the-lines translation on that, Jimmy. Uh, there's something going on with Alabama and a graduate transfer post player. He's either a four-player or a five-player that will only have one year of eligibility. We don't have his name yet, but there's been rumors for weeks that there was an unnamed big man that has not told his current school he plans to be a graduate transfer and that Alabama felt good about landing him. I think, Jimmy, that Avery Johnson dropped a huge hint about that yesterday. He certainly, uh, like you said, you know, reading between the lines because there's only so much he can say about a kid that's not committed or signed. <laughs> uh, there, there's only so much he can say, so you do have to read between the lines. He seemed awfully confident from, from that answer to me that there was going to be one more kid. And, gosh, con- considering uh, the names that are out there, the fact that he was confident about a kid and I would have no idea who that kid might be does lead you to believe that he does have someone specific in mind. Uh, that, that's exactly, in, in terms of most likely, uh, most likely uh, storylines, I, I, think, I think a grad transfer is what makes the most sense. We have to remember that this 2017 class that we're recruiting right now, it's just loaded, both in-state and out-of-state. We're involved with a ton of kids. I don't know that we want to bring in too many young guys right now, not leaving enough spots open in 2017, because it's just my belief, Carrie, that the 2017 class is going to be the talent infusion that sort of defines the Avery Johnson era at Alabama. So we don't want the 2017 class to be two kids. It would be great if that's four or five. So bringing in grad transfer means you're not robbing a spot from the 2017 group. So it just makes all the sense in the world to me that it's one more kid and that it's a grad transfer, and uh, a big guy would be nice. Yeah, I don't think they'll take another guard. I think they're very happy with the addition of Corbin Collins, who plays the freshman at LSU before playing a couple years at Moorhead State. I think Corbin Collins will push Armand Davis for the job at two guard. If he doesn't win, he'll back it up. And I think he'll make Dazon Ingram a better point guard and back him up. I think Corbin Collins is the backup at two positions next year, Jim. That's exa- exactly how I see it. Uh, exactly. He'll spell Dazon, push Armand at the two guard, 
He'll play a lot of minutes, may or may not start. I don't really know how much. I don't know why starting is a big deal to fans, really what should be the big deal is minutes played. <laughs> and I can see that kid playing a lot of minutes next year, whether he starts or not, because spelling days on at the one, playing a lot of minutes at the two. And, uh, and of course, we'll, we'll juggle it around. It looks like we'll have 10 or 11 kids, uh, you know, that, that will sort of be in and out, and we'll, we'll see who gets the most minutes. But I, I agree with you that Corbin – most likely is the chief backup at one and two, which should lead to uh, maybe as much as 15, 18 minutes every week, every game. Well, I think that's exactly right. Have you got time for about two more questions? Of course. Okay. Uh, and by the way, Alabama now has men on second and third with only one out in the fifth, trailing by two. Uh, Will Haney digging in. Uh, we'll let you know if the rally continues. But right now, there's, at least there's a comeback in the making. Back to recruiting and, and, and this being the time of year for spring games and all. I understand you went to a pretty interesting spring game a week or two ago. Uh, Jimmy, why don't you fill our listeners in on where you went, who you saw, and uh, what went on that night? Yeah, I saw, uh, I saw Fairhope in Spanish Fort last week and, at, at Fairhope. Uh, mostly interested in the two Spanish Fort kids that are 2017 guys, Justin Thomas, who Alabama's offered, and and, uh, you know, may end up with, with this Alabama class. They also feature a linebacker named Thomas Johnston, who does not have an Alabama offer, but who has several SEC offers. Uh, and there were several coaches there. I, I got the impression there's no way for me to know, but I think most of the college coaches that were there present uh, watching, watching the spring game were there to watch Thomas. But uh, Alabama has more of an interest in Justin Thomas, who's a tall pass rusher, He's the son of a former Alabama offensive tackle, Atlas Herrian. Justin's probably 6'5", 245, maybe 250. Uh, plays defensive end in Spanish sports. 3-4 scheme, uh, probably a defensive end for Alabama. If he, if he signed with us, he needs to add a lot of weight. Now he's got the right frame for it. He has really impressive feet and shows some good flash. Uh, I thought he played okay. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, in my opinion, Justin would be a five-star or a national elite-type prospect. To me, he's a little bit more of a developmental guy because what I like most about him, Kerry, is his frame and his feet, uh, but just not quite a finished product yet. I think he's just too easily blocked uh, from the inside. He's basically just an outside flash guy at this point, but – Certainly a good prospect. Uh, you can't teach him to have his wingspan. You can't teach him to have the burst that he has. He, he had one sack and a few quarterback pressures. Uh, Thomas Johnston, the inside linebacker that I think is very likely to end up in the SEC, uh, he, he was impressive as usual. He's just one of these inside linebackers that plays sideline to sideline that's a really good bet every single night to, uh, to lodge double-digit tackles and he had his, his typical performance. Thomas Johnston will end up being a four-year starter at Spanish Ford High School, which is really hard to do considering that's such an elite program. Uh, probably the biggest name in the house watching that night was Ed Orgeron from LSU. He was there at Fairhope, and uh, they have offered Thomas Johnston. And uh, whether they end up with him or not, I'm not sure, but it's obvious LSU uh, you know, is a major player for him. He also has offers from Auburn and Clemson. And his older brother just signed with UAB to be uh, UAB's quarterback. So Thomas could end up playing there. A factor with him is he's also an outstanding baseball player uh, that even potentially could be taken in the upcoming June draft. 
And speaking of baseball, uh, Alabama has come back to tie the game against number 10 South Carolina. A uh, two-run single by first baseman Cody Henry has scored a pair of runs, and Bama and Carolina are now tied uh, bottom of the fifth. I'm not sure if they've gotten to the sixth yet, but definitely tied at four. If we win tonight, so. can I change my mind and say we might win two out of three? Yes, you can. <laughs> that is allowed. That would be a big deal. I mean, you win two out of three against the number 10 ranked team that has their high RPI. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I think it's sort of late in the year for us, for Alabama to all of a sudden, you know, climb up to that two. You know, when you're a number two, uh, that, that's, that's – I don't know that we're top – I don't know that we can ever make a claim at this point that we're top 32. Uh, that's that's tough, even winning two out of three against South Carolina. But, but – I'm just saying it's just impressive stuff. You win one out of three, two out of three against them, win a couple of games in the SEC tournament, and we have a pretty strong resume, whether we're a two or a three. And really, does it really matter? Because if you're a three, you play the two. I mean, in the first round, what does it really matter? Because if you're the three in the first round, you, you, I mean, you know, you play the two. So what does it really matter? You're in the game. I guess maybe because the two gets to be the home team. I don't know. If you're the three or the two, it doesn't matter. You, you play each other. So if we're if we if we're the three, two just looks better. You know, perception, recruiting, that kind of thing. You got to kind of justify. Well, the yeah, if you're, you're playing team. in a multi-million dollar stadium, uh, I think that the theory is you need to aspire to be higher than a three. No, I'm, I'm sure ideally, and I'm, I know we want to get to that point as a program that you'd rather be the two or the one. I'm just saying the two plays the three. I'm sure the two is the home team, and that gives them, I guess, some advantage if they get the last at bat. But I'm just, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just saying that personally, I'm just not too tied up in whether we're the three or the two because you get, you play the same game. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I really think that Alabama appears to be playing its best baseball right now down the stretch, and that's, that's what's important. Get hot at the end. Yeah, they just got to be able to close the deal. But, you know, to their credit, they erased a four-run deficit. So, uh, And apparently they're still batting. Uh, it says Vincent singles to right, runners now on first and second with two down. And uh, USC is making a pitching change with the game tied. Uh, so that's two down, bottom of five, tied to four, and Bama's still batting. So uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we've still got seven minutes on the air. We'll let you guys know uh, what goes on between now and 9 o'clock. Jimmy, I, I want to, you know, you brought up something earlier about Thomas Johnson being a two-sport guy. Another two-sport guy that Alabama's recruiting is Lee Montgomery receiver Henry Ruggs, who somewhat surprisingly to me has gotten the blessing of Nick Saban if he chooses Alabama to give basketball a go. And he's a, he's a pretty good high school guard. Uh, but when you look at his football tape, that's where he's going to make his money. Give, a, give our uh, listeners your thoughts on Henry Ruggs. I'm a huge Henry Ruggs fan. I, I think he's fantastic. I'm almost a little disappointed he hasn't taken off nationally in the sense that I watch his tape. I think it's national elite type recruit. He's a guy that I think has the ability uh, uh, in, in terms of what you typically see in the national top 100. I, I think he's a guy that fits in that, in that, in that tier of prospect to me. He's a playmaker. He gets good separation. He has great hands. Uh, I think he's somewhat similar to even a Calvin Ridley in terms of what he's built like, his hands and his ability to separate and, and make plays. Uh, I love rugs, and to be completely honest, I, I know Nico Collins is considered the top receiver in state. 
uh, and that, that's the way almost everyone votes. Uh, just my personal opinion, and I, I realize I'm in the minority on this, and Nick Saban would probably call me an idiot. I'm sure he would do that all the time anyway, but <laughs> I think uh, just personally, if we could only have one of the two, I'd take rugs. That's just me. Now, uh, again, I know most coaches would disagree, but I would take rugs over Collins myself. Hopefully we won't be in that position. I can, we can take that. them both. I think Ruggs is just more dynamic to me. But, but again, I'm not taking a shot at Collins. I just love Ruggs. Well, they're, they're different kinds of receivers. Uh, you know, one six five, yeah, one six one. So they, they both would play different roles at Alabama. There's room for both, hopefully. Uh, final question for you, Jimmy, and I'd be remiss in uh, asking, in not asking you, uh, since you do live in the two five one. Uh, tell us uh, what you're hearing lately about, uh, I guess it'll just be a junior this fall, uh, Sarah Land quarterback Jack West. Yeah, that's one of my favorite subjects for sure. Jack is a, a fantastic prospect. He's been well-known in the area uh, for a while, even though last year was his first year as the starting quarterback at Sarah Land. Really good prospect. Uh, Sort of reminds me, the skill set's different, but it should remind everyone else of A.J. McCarron, who, who was a young starter in Mobile with a big reputation, and his reputation grew each season to the point that A.J. became a national elite prospect who signed with Alabama, and the rest is history based on what A.J. accomplished at Alabama. I think Jack is similar in the sense that the reputation is similar, the skill set in high school pretty similar. Jack is a drop-back passer. He's not particularly blessed athletically in terms of a guy that's going to make a lot of plays outside the pocket. He's just sort of a pure pocket passer. He's really bright. He has coached extremely well. Uh, when I say that, his, his private quarterback coach, David Morris, is the same one that coached A.J. McCarron and Jay Coker. Uh, and, and his high school coach is Jeff Kelly, who was a quarterback at Southern Miss and then, then later in the NFL with the Seahawks. So, Jack West is extremely well coached. He's tall. He's smart. Uh, he, he, he has just got a lot of the boxes checked, and uh, I believe he's up to around 20 offers or more by now. Uh, I, I, I don't know that Jack will be the number one quarterback in the nation in his class, but he'll certainly be in that, that top elite group. But same token, uh, there's a lot of improvement he has to do. I, I, I think Jack can – still really improve in terms of his footwork and in terms of just becoming a more productive, efficient passer on the field. I'd like to see a higher completion percentage and maybe just more efficient drives and, and more of a field general. Last year, Jack was more of a really talented kid that didn't always uh, produce, maybe is the way to put it. But let's see if uh, Jack has, has improved to the point that he can sort of put the team on his shoulders and maybe get the team further in the playoffs than they should be because Jack is so good. You know, I, I'd like to see that. Uh, I realize that's an extremely high bar, but, uh, but trust me, this kid has, has, has the ceiling to do those sort of things. And he's a guy that Alabama feels great about getting, although I know Stanford and others have shown interest. I did want to say that the uh, – New Carolina pitcher that came in did retire Alabama, so they head to the top of the six with a score tied at four in Tuscaloosa. Jimmy, before we uh, let you go, just tell them where they can find you and Luke's podcast. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, our podcast is called Talk in Tuscaloosa. We do it once a week. 
uh, you can just literally, the easiest way to find it is to just go to Google and just type in Talk in Tuscaloosa. I'm sure it will come up high on, on the list. Uh, do that every week, and you can find me on Twitter at LJS Law. And I really appreciate uh, every opportunity you and Drew give me to, to be on y'all's show. Glad to have you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. That's Jimmy Stein, LJS Law, Talking to Us is the podcast. We're going to wrap up this edition of BAMS Radio. We want to thank everyone for listening, whether it's live or on the podcast at BAMSradio.com. For Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, I'm Kerry Clark of BAMAMag.com. Thanks again for joining us here on BAMS Radio. Good night and roll tide, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.